just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Thursday. Been kind of a busy, crazy week. That's one of the advantages of doing this Rational Boomer Podcast. There's never a day when I say, Jesus, there's nothing to talk about. There's always shit to talk about. And then from time to time, I get a listener to come on the show, and I get basically a break because they talk at least half the amount of time. And I want to thank Tony Negron from uh, South Carolina for coming on yesterday. He's an interesting conversation. Smart guy, interesting background, and um, you can appreciate a guy that's trying to do some service and help kids and some of the things he's doing. So, Tony, thank you for showing up yesterday at the last minute. Thank you for making the show that much more entertaining. Let's start out with some emails, then we'll get down to the business at hand. Now, you remember on a previous podcast, I was talking about the current seditious conspiracy trial going on with the Proud Boys. We know there have been eight Oath Keepers that have been convicted of seditious conspiracy, which is pretty impressive. It's very rare that anybody is charged with that crime. It's even rarer that somebody is convicted of that crime. And in that one group, we have eight people convicted of seditious conspiracy. Well, now there's a, another seditious conspiracy trial going on, this time for the Proud Boys. And when we were talking about that particular trial, something weird came up in it. And it was that they were talking about some rule within the Proud Boys. <laughs> Basically banning their, their contingent from masturbating more than once a month. I don't know why that came up in court. I don't know why that's even a deal. I don't know why the Proud Boys made that fucking rule. Apparently, they're remembering something Muhammad Ali or some prize fighter said way back when that says, oh, you can't, you can't have any relations before a big event. And apparently, <laughs> they thought January 6th was a big event. Unfortunately, they lost. So whatever their strategies were going into that event, obviously, it failed. Anyway, I got an email from a gentleman by the name of Paul responding to that part of that story. And he starts out by saying, in that there manual, it says nothing about a traditional circle jerk. I guess it is understood that that activity is okay. Just asking, Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Thanks for starting the podcast off right. Well, to be perfectly honest, when you look at the Oath Keepers and uh, the Proud Boys, I tend to believe that the whole reason for forming these groups is for circle jerks. So that may be the main thing that they do besides trying to commit a coup against America. They failed at that. Let's hope their circle jerks are more, <laughs> more successful. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it's my show and I'm glad I don't have anybody to answer to because I would get shit about that one. 
But you folks expect it out of me. You, you, you don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. And if it's something that's a little inappropriate, that's probably not surprising to you. But if it offended you, well, then you need to listen to another podcast. We don't go that dark usually. But fucking guy emailed it to me. I had to respond to it. I try to put every email on the show. All right, the next email comes from Bo. He says, good day, Mike. I hope you're well on this day. I thought the other day that I'd share Russia claims they will take America down from the inside. That's right. They have said that. They've admitted to interfering with elections. I don't know if they've admitted to it, but we proved that they did. Now with George Santos is a complete gong show with no integrity, making a mockery of the House. He's a relative of a Russian oligarch. We have heard that, and that is presumably where he got his money that he allegedly donated to his own campaign. However, (laughs) he changed that yesterday, and he says, oh, no, no, I didn't donate it. Somebody gave it to me. Now, of course, he didn't say who gave it to him. And if somebody gives him that much money for his campaign, that's highly illegal. So he didn't get himself out of trouble. He looks kind of foolish. Anyway, Bo goes on to say the MAGAs are already doing a great job at making America a mockery on the world stage. Um, I'm not, I think this is a typo. Let's throw in George. Let's throw in George. That would be T-H-R-O-W, uh, Bo. Not trying to be a dick. I'm just trying to help out here. Let's throw in George as a cherry on top. Push people to the point of breaking. The split in the peoples were both sides. Libs and Maggers are watching the same movie with two completely different outcomes. That's true. The government knows this and continues to push the people. Divide and conquer. The courts are incompetent. How long before the American people become completely desperate and things take a major turn for the worst? The podcast today, 24th, that states there has been more mass shootings than days in the year, is a terrifying thought. I have immense faith in our humanity, even though it's tested daily with conservatives running roughshod around the world. Just my thoughts about what's happening down south. We are rooting for normalcy and for democracy. P.S. Always appreciate all your work you do in being rational and sharing insight from your indigenous neighbor. With thankfulness, Bo. Thank you very much, Bo. You've written before, and I always love hearing from you. Um, I tend to think that the whole idea of coming up with a two-party system is, in fact, to divide and conquer this country. Can you imagine what would happen to our politicians if we were all independent or all um, together in some kind of unity? I mean, let's be perfectly honest. The difference between conservatives and liberals at this point prior to Donald Trump was six of one, half a dozen of the other. Conservatives say, will say, we want to be fiscally responsible. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, fiscally responsible doesn't mean adding $8 trillion to our debt like they did during Donald Trump's tenure. Conservatives aren't conservative anymore. You have two different kinds of liberals, two different kinds of Republicans. And so we almost have like four parties going. 
but they're only split in two parties. Can you imagine what would happen if those two parties weren't split? We were, in fact, united. Well, then the politicians would be in fucking trouble. And, and you're absolutely right. One of the reasons they can create this division is because we all get different stories. We all have different sources for our news. If you're uh, a Republican or a trump fuck, you get it from OAN, Newsmax, Fox News, and the like. The liberals will get it from MSNBC and CNN, presumably, and some of the others. And the fact is, is you can watch the same news story on on both right and left media and get two totally different stories. So I think the media plays a part in the divisiveness in this country. In fact, I think they play a huge part. Of course, the parties want to split us up. They give us all the trigger words that might hit our senses. The liberals just want to spend all our money and give away free money. The Republicans just want to give money to the rich and take it from us. Both those comments are kind of true. But it's a matter of what really is bad and what is really good for this country. I don't think any under any circumstances giving rich people a $2 trillion tax break and giving Americans, the normal Americans that pay most of the taxes in this country, giving them nothing. That's not a good thing. And I think the progressive liberals can go a little far with what they want to do. But whenever I talk to somebody who talks about liberals and say, well, they just want to spend and give away things for free, that's not entirely true. But I always tell these people, you've been conditioned to think that our government can't spend money on us, whether it be health care or whatever, because how are we going to pay it back? It's just going to make the, the debt higher. We'll never pay this back. It's going to go to our kids, and they're going to have to pay it back. Funny thing about that is, is that whenever they talk about giving $840 billion to our defense department or a $2 trillion tax break to the rich, nobody says we can't afford that. It's not until it comes to health care or lower uh, pharmaceutical prices or, or anything that comes back to us. That's when the, the argument comes up that we can't afford it. Now, you would expect that out of the Republicans. They want to push their agenda along. But for some reason, there are a lot of people in this country that buy that bullshit. And it is bullshit. If we can't afford to give free health care and free education to people in this country, why is it nobody complains about the Defense Department or the tax breaks for rich? It's because they've been conditioned. The Republicans have done a great job in controlling the narrative and making people believe that the liberals only want to drain this country of money and give away free shit. That's, that's not true. It's just not true. But no matter how you look at this, whether you're on the right or on the left, tell me this does not make sense. All of us in the middle class pay taxes. We pay a lot of taxes. 
Percentage-wise, we pay more taxes than the rich. Now, when they tell us that we can't do something for the middle class because we can't afford it, doesn't that upset you a little bit? Does it confuse you a little bit? Here's my point. You and I go out day to day. We go into the grocery store, the drugstore, a garage sale, buy a car or whatever. We lay out money and we expect something in return, something of equal value, right? If I'm going to buy milk, eggs, and cheese, and I put out the money, I expect to take home the milk, egg, and cheese. Same with a car, same with whatever I buy. But for some reason, the people of this country seem to be okay with putting out the money in their taxes and somehow comfortable with getting nothing in return. Now I know what you're going to say. Well, we have the fire department. We have all these services. Yes, we do. But somehow the rich get their money back. They don't have to pay taxes. Wouldn't it make sense just to have them pay a fair amount give back to the middle class, which will make this country flourish. I mean, I think that's where the rich get it wrong. They think they're entitled to everything and we're entitled to nothing. But over time, that's going to ruin it for everybody. Once they break the middle class and there is no money, who are the rich people and the politicians going to grift? They can't go to the well anymore because we're all fucking broke. We have no money. So it makes sense to make the middle class flourish so we can prosper and pay more taxes because that's where the fucking money is coming from. I mean, it's like kind of going down in a forest. I, 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 my family had a cabin in northern Minnesota, and there was a lot of logging going up there, you know. They'd cut down trees and sell it to lumber yards and whatever. They'd cut down the trees. But one thing they always did, and I've seen how this works now. I remember they cut down this one field. They took all the trees out of there. They were all pine trees. And then in this same field, they planted seedlings. Now, this was in the 60s. And I thought, What's with all the seedlings? Well, they're replacing the lumber they took. I go, yeah, but it's going to take fucking forever for those things to grow. Why is that a thing? Well, in most cases, they would have to do that. And now we're talking 40 years since that time. And if you drive by that same plot of land, which I have, you got some big-ass trees there. you got some more lumber to take down. And if they do, they're more than likely to replant with seedlings again and start all over. Can you imagine what would happen if they cut down trees and didn't replace it? Granted, it takes a long time, but you've got to feed the thing that's serving you. And in this country, the middle class and the taxes we play, pay essentially run this country. So it makes no sense to run us dry because once you do, is like trying to find water in Southern California in August. There is none. And when there is none, what do you fucking do? Anyway, thank you. Uh, thank you for the email. And feel free to uh, write anytime, Bo. Always love hearing from you. Now, this next one, this last one, comes to us from Eric. 
he's written a number of times as well. He says, hi, Mike, I agree with what you said on TikTok about the Georgia case. I believe we will see multiple people indicted and multiple charges against them. The decision not to release the report makes sense. While that report might convict all defendants in the court of public opinion, it does, in my opinion, taint the jury pool. While finding uninformed juries on these cases is probably impossible, I'd hate for this report to have a negative effect on any possible trial. I also agree that once the first indictments start, it will be open season for every investigation. Of these classified documents, I'm disturbed and disappointed that there have been many found with Joe Biden. However, it does at least appear that this all could be a mistake. We need to fix the security around these types of documents because what we are doing clearly isn't enough. Now that Pence has searched his own house and found documents as well, it makes me wonder who else might have documents. Did Obama keep any? Did Bush? Did Cheney? When the documents were first found at Penn Biden Center, I thought it was either planted by Trump's people or just a mistake. When they first said they found the documents at Biden's home in Delaware, I thought those could have been things he brought home with him from his term. Now I don't know what to conclude from all this. Thanks for all your insights, Eric. And, and, And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely about right about everything you said. We'll cover the Georgia thing real quickly. We know that Fonnie Willis is investigating the uh, attempt to overturn the election in Georgia by Donald Trump, Lindsey Graham, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, and a bunch of other people. We know that she took it to a special grand jury. Now, the important thing to understand about a special grand jury is that they don't put out indictments. The special grand jury investigates this situation, then makes recommendations through a report. Then Fonnie Willis takes this report to the grand jury and decides whether or not uh, there's going to be indictments. Now, one of the things they have to decide in this normal grand jury case is whether they should publish and make available the report. Now, all of us, when we heard that, we thought, yeah, damn, let's, let's see the report. I want to see all the dirt. But we were all probably surprised when Fonnie Willis herself went into court and says, listen, I don't want you releasing that report because it might taint the jury pool or whatever it might do. But in this pitch to the, to the judge for not releasing the uh, report, she said a couple of things that were very compelling. She said she wanted to keep the report um, under wraps to protect future defendants. Something to note there. She didn't say possible defendants. She said future defendants. And she didn't say defendant. She said multiple defendants. Now that's interesting. That tells us something. That tells us she's got in her mind that she's going to have multiple indictments. We don't know how many. And then she said something about imminent decisions, which means it's coming pretty quickly. Fonnie Willis wouldn't have interviewed 75 people, gone to a special grand jury, now to a regular grand jury, if she wasn't expecting to 
issue some indictments. Again, who they are and how many, we don't know, but she's talked to a lot of people. 70, uh, dep- 75 depositions is pretty high. You don't usually see that in a, a grand jury or a special grand jury for that matter. So this is really interesting and really compelling uh, that it sounds like something is, in her words, eminent. And it would be about time that we see somebody be held re- accountable, especially Donald Trump, for an obvious crime. I mean, this obvious crime is on um, an audio recording. Donald Trump himself begging for 11,780 votes. We know that Lindsey Graham called Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, twice. We know that Mark Meadows went down there. We know that Rudy Giuliani went down there. So there's a lot of things to be going on there. And one of the things I've always said, and it's what, what Eric said here, is that I believe once that first indictment goes out, specifically to Donald Trump, then we'll see an avalanche. I think everybody out there is afraid to be the first one in history to indict a former president. I don't think Fonnie Willis cares. I think she's just about the law. And if you broke the law, you're going to get indicted. She's not worried about him being the former president, Donald Trump. I think Merrick Garland is. I think uh, the people in New York are. Alvin Bragg up in the Manhattan District. But once somebody makes that first move... It's going to open the floodgates. Shit's going to get crazy. And it sounds like Fonnie Willis is going to do something here. And I think a lot of people are worried about Donald Trump getting an indictment. But since she's talking about multiple indictments, some of the people she could be talking about are those folks that um, tried to masquerade as electors. They were fake electors. These people are just nobodies, but they're going to be taken to task. The people that helped put these people together and formulate the effort, those people are probably going to get indictments. Donald Trump should get an indictment. Rudy Giuliani, we know, is a target. We've got uh, Mark Meadows. There's a lot of possible indictments coming out of this, probably some indictments we don't even imagine at this point. So it's going to be very interesting to see. And I have this feeling that if Fonnie Willis comes out with these indictments, this is going to light a fire under the DOJ. I mean, think about this. The January 6th committee got the jump on the Department of Justice regarding the January 6th insurrection. Now that the January 6th committee is done, The DOJ has been waiting for evidence from them, which they now have. But that's completely backwards. It never happens where Congress leads the DOJ in any kind of investigation. I mean, you know, we've got uh, Merrick Garland, the highest law enforcement official in the country, And now he's got the January 6th committee doing his job. That's got to be a little embarrassing to Merrick Garland. And then when you throw in the fact that the state of Georgia and Fonnie Willis might jump them with an indictment before they even get ready to do that stuff, it's got to be embarrassing for them. And it's got to light a fire underneath them. At least I'm hoping that's the case. 
And as I've said, once we get one indictment, a lot of others are going to fall. Uh, But I've also said we only need one indictment on Donald Trump to finish that motherfucker. As far as his status with the Republican Party and with the American people, he's losing ground every day. He's no longer going to be a factor. As much as people want to tell you he is, the media will tell you he is because he's good TV. They want to get ratings with stupid shit that Donald Trump says. The fact of the matter is he's trying to set up rallies. He doesn't get enough support. He's not getting much coverage with True Social. He's now thinking about breaking that agreement with True Social and ending up in Twitter. And, of course, there's the new information that came out. Apparently, Meta, otherwise known as Facebook, is going to let Donald Trump back on Facebook. And that's an appropriate place for him. Now, as much as I started on Facebook, I'm still on Facebook. I like Facebook for what we're doing. Facebook is kind of like Twitter in that it's a fading um, app. Facebook is known to have a lot of older people. Now, it didn't start out that way, but now it's pretty much old people. When I say old people, I mean people like me and you. And that's fine. That's that's a great platform for us to interact, and that's why I'm on Facebook. But people are all upset about the prospect of Donald Trump coming not only back on Facebook, but Facebook or Meta-owned Instagram as well. So he could get back on Twitter, get back on Facebook, get back on Instagram, And in his mind, he thinks, well, maybe I can rekindle the fire. Maybe I can get things going back my way because now I'll have a platform to speak to people from. I don't think he sees what actually is going to happen here. As I've said all along, all you have to do is let Donald Trump talk and he'll implicate himself and make himself look like a fool. And he's done that on Truth Social. Now, let's be honest, while True Social doesn't have that many followers, the media has helped him out there. As much as True Social doesn't, they don't have many followers for Donald Trump there, a few million, something like that, which is decidedly smaller than the 80 million he had on Twitter when he left. But the, but the problem is, is even though it goes out to a small crowd on True Social, Every media outlet digs it out and reports it on television. So he's already got pretty good coverage with the things he's saying, thanks to the media. Now, if he gets on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just going to burn him down quicker. Now, Just after over two years after indefinitely banning Donald Trump, tech giant Meta plans to reinstate the former president on Facebook and Instagram in the coming weeks. So it's not immediate. It's coming up. It's not there yet. Trump's reinstatement will come with new guardrails in place to deter repeat offenses. Nick Clegg, the company's president of global affairs said in a press release. Now, Mr. Trump is subject to our community standards, Clegg wrote. 
In light of the violations, he now also faces heightened penalties for repeat offenses, penalties, which will apply to other political figures whose accounts are reinstated from suspensions related to civil unrest under our updated protocol. Now, in the event that Mr. Trump posts further violating content, the content will be removed and he will be suspended for between one month and two years, depending on the severity of the violation. Trump's 2024 campaign had stepped up lobbying efforts to regain control of various social media profiles, almost all of which were suspended after he used them to coordinate and instigate the riot on January 6th. So now it looks like he's going to get back on the platforms. And if you're worried about it, don't be. Because he probably won't last very long. But the fact of the matter is, it's going to hurt him more than it's going to help him. I, I think what's going on with Facebook particularly, and even Twitter for that matter, I think some of the activity on those apps is starting to fall off a little bit. This is why they're looking to get Donald Trump back on. They want to do what the media does, make Donald Trump a focal point, let him do his embarrassing shit, and hopefully they will get more activity and traction on their platforms just by virtue of letting Donald Trump be the freak show. Now, unless you're an older person like me, You may not remember that back in the old days of the state fairs and the county fairs and stuff, they had these freak shows. And in retrospect, these freak shows were really sad because these were people with um, handicaps and that sort of thing. And they gave them weird names like the crab boy or the whatever they called them. But that's kind of what the premise is for for the media and now for these social media platforms. They need attention. They need more activity. They want to make money. So what they're doing is allowing the clown show back on and hoping they reap attention and activity. And sadly, they will. They will. People will flock to uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter again just to see what that dumb fuck is going to say next. He is truly an embarrassment, and if you're worried about him getting power by getting onto these platforms, I promise you, it's not going to do him any good. It's going to hurt him further. The damage he's already done to himself is irreparable. The damage that is yet to come in the... um, by way of indictments, there's going to be no coming back from that. The evidence that is released that shows his treasonous behavior, his violent behavior, is not something he's going to be able to come back from. And the Republicans won't want to be associated with him at all. Sure, the MAGA faction, that little bunch of Trumplefucks, will probably follow him off the cliff, which is where they're headed too, ultimately. But him being on these platforms is not going to be helpful to him. It's going to be helpful to the Democrats in making their case. What's that old quote, you can't go home again? Well, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But Donald Trump cannot go home again. 
Donald Trump will fuck it up just like he fucks up everything he ever does. All right, we will take a break and we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Every day we hear about this impending crisis with regards to raising the debt limit. They say if we don't raise the debt limit, it will crash our economy in this country and potentially crash the economy globally. Now, keep in mind, we've raised the debt limit 80 times since the 1960s. And we did it three times during Donald Trump's presidency. So this isn't a new thing. This has happened all along. But this time, it's a little different. And... I'm beginning to think the Republicans are starting to feel the pressure of this. Here's what we know. The Democrats want to raise the debt limit like they do every fucking other time they raise the debt limit. They've got to do it. I mean, the whole procedure is just so antiquated. No other country does this. We still do, and it seems for no purpose at all. I know Joe Biden said it would be irresponsible to not have a debt limit. Really, Joe? You've raised it 80 times, and you've been in the uh, Senate, at the very least, almost all 80 of those times. Really? That would be irresponsible? How is it any less irresponsible by having a debt limit, but then raising it every time? Or just not having a debt limit and not going through the drama and the problems we're seeing now? You see, the Republicans think this is an opportune moment that they can start to force the Democrats to make tax or make cuts in general to spending with the intent of going after Medicare and Social Security. And as they say, the entitlements, it's ironic, these are entitlements that we all fucking paid for. So they aren't, by definition, entitlements. But this is the game now. There never has really been this kind of um, contentiousness about this. Both Republicans and Democrats know the potential damage it can do to this country, so they rubber stamp it, sign it, and raise the debt limit like they have every other time before, but not this time. Because the Republicans are all full of themselves, and they think they can pressure the Democrats to do what they want to do. And I think they're making a mistake. They're going to look like fools in this process. Because this, for all intents and purposes, is a game of chicken. Who's going to veer at the last minute? Who's going to blink? Who's going to give? And I'll tell you this right now. I will give Joe Biden credit. He's holding strong to this chicken game. And it will be the Republicans that blink. They almost have to. So anyway, Republicans are letting their razor-thin House majority kind of go to their head. We know that. We see that. And they remain stubborn on Wednesday. 
and they they say that it's President Joe Biden who has to negotiate on the debt limit, not them. Really? (laughs) But see what they're doing here. The president sees it differently, of course. But while Speaker Kevin McCarthy and others in his caucus are taking the hard line, some others are wondering if digging in against the Democrats for the sake of it is the best approach to the rest of the country. Well, of course, it's not. Congress raised the debt limit three times during the Trump administration, but Republicans are now using the issue as leverage in their first major act since winning their narrow 222-212 House majority. But while the more right-wing majority of the House GOP wants to force deep spending cuts on President Biden and the Democratic-led Senate in exchange for an agreement to avoid default on the $31.4 trillion debt, some moderates want to tread more carefully and avoid any potential damage to the U.S. economy. So the Republicans are playing hardball, and some people are saying, yeah, just give them what they want. We don't want to crash the economy. Joe Biden's not feeling that, though. I mean, anytime you're in a negotiation or playing a game of chicken, you've got to understand how the other person is thinking. They may come out strong and talk loud and do all that stuff, but you have to think about what's in their head. What do they have to lose? And trust me, there is a lot that the Republicans have to lose. Because if the debt limit isn't raised and the economy crashes, they're going to get the blame. And what does that mean? It means they're going to get wiped out in 2024. As strong as they're acting, they don't want to see the country crash any more than anybody else. In fact, Mitch McConnell in the Senate has said as much. We're not going to not raise the debt limit. That's what he said. But here's the thing, and here's where I I, I get the feeling that they're in trouble However, House GOP seems united on one thing. They will not support a debt agreement without Democratic negotiations on spending, regardless of what their Senate counterparts say, since they don't hold the majority in that chamber. Now, the Treasury Department, which has already deployed extreme measures to keep the government open, has warned that it may only be able to pay all the government's bills through early June, at which point, the world's biggest economy could be at risk of failing to meet its obligations, including defaulting on its debt securities, which would be catastrophic in this country. Now, McCarthy and President Biden are expected to meet to discuss the debt ceiling, among other issues, but the Speaker wasn't included in a White House gathering on Monday when the President hosted Democratic leadership to tackle that issue and others facing the Democrats. But but here's the thing. This is what the Republicans are doing. And I'll explain to you why they're doing it this way and why it's a bullshit way that won't work. They're saying to Joe Biden and the Democrats, we won't vote to raise the debt limit unless there's some cuts made. So the president and the Democrats said, okay, what cuts do you want to make? And the Republicans say, oh, no, you got to come up with the cuts. How, how does that make any sense? The Democrats say there is no need for cuts. This isn't about future spending. This is about money already approved and spent. It's just a matter of paying a bill that we've already incurred. 
So Joe Biden's not suggesting that there's anything we need to cut. And why should he? He's never said there was a need to cut it. The Republicans have said they need to cut it, but they won't say what they need cut. Why? Because they know when they say this, they're going to get the heat for it. They don't want to be on the hook for uh, cutting uh, Medicare or Social Security or any of those things. See, these dumb fucks didn't think this out before they did it. They want what they want, but now they're afraid to say it. So they think they can pressure Joe Biden into doing it for them without them saying it. Well, Joe Biden's been doing this a long time. Like him or not, he knows this fucking game. And this game won't go well for the weakest Speaker of the House in the history of this country. It won't go well for those MAGA fucks that only make up a small part of the Republican contingent in the House of Representatives. If I was to advise... um, If I was to advise Joe Biden on this kind of negotiation, I would say we need to raise the debt limit. We've done it 80 times. You did it three times under Donald Trump. We're going to raise the debt limit without any negotiations like we've done every other fucking time. Or you can suck it. Now, of course, the Republicans are going to say, well, you're going to crash the economy. No, motherfucker, you're going to crash the economy because you're asking for something we've never done before. Joe Biden and the Democrats need to stay strong. And that's why they came out and said, "Okay, tell us what you want to cut, because as soon as they tell them what they want to cut, they're going to promote the fuck out of that and cause some ill will amongst the the public in this country. So that's why they don't want to do it. They want what they want, but they won't tell us what they want. They want us, meaning the Democrats, to come up with the answers. Well, who's to say if we come up with the answers that uh, they're going to agree to it? I mean, if you ask me, what should we cut? Well, I would cut the $2 trillion tax cut to the rich right off the bat. That should save us a lot of money and do the job we need to do. That means we could add $2 trillion to the, the, the debt. And I would also remind them that uh, Donald Trump added $8 trillion to that debt in the last two years. Joe Biden has taken off trillion. So who do you trust with the money more, the Republicans or the Democrats? Well, the track record at this point would say the Democrats and not the Republicans. They started a fight and they didn't know how it was going to end. Now they're shuffling their feet and saying, no, you choose, you choose, fuck you. That's what I would say. I would say, fuck you. You stepped in it. Now you have to live with it. And we're going to force this down your throat until you cave in because you will cave in. Because if you don't cave in, you will be part and parcel responsible for the destruction, not only of our economy, but your political party. Fucking unbelievable. I hope the Democrats don't get weak on this. I hope they shove it down their throat and force them to do what they need to do. I've even heard that the Republicans are even talking about, well, let's extend the time. That's a sign that they're weak. And if they're giving you a sign that they're weak, exploit that. 
If I look at this negotiation, the Republicans are losing badly already. No matter how tough they talk, they're fucking losing this negotiation. They're already two-stepping and backing up because they know Joe Biden's not stupid enough to be afraid of their threats. Joe Biden's got more experience in in Washington, D.C. than almost anybody in the Republican—well, definitely more than anybody in the House of Representatives on the Republican side. He's probably even with Mitch McConnell in the Senate, but the Senate isn't his problem. It's the fucking House of Representatives. At some point, a deal will have to be cut. They will raise the debt limit. Mitch McConnell has said this. I will say that too. There is no way, no how, that they are not going to raise the debt limit and crash the economy. That will not happen. The only thing I would warn against is the Democrats getting weak and giving in at all. Do not give in. The Republicans have more to lose as they get closer to this debt limit ceiling in June when they have to make the decision. Now, they may end up riding this out all the way till June, as they tend to do. Republicans are all about that. Bullies are all about that. Be tough, double down, triple down, quadruple down, and don't give up until you already got your ass kicked. That's the way it's going to go. So a lot of things will happen between now and June over and above the debt limit. There's going to be other scandals. There's going to be George Santos. Who knows? In the next nine months, the majority could shift in the House of Representatives. How, you ask? Well, there's only a difference of four people on the Republican side. uh, George Santos is going to get booted at some point. Republicans are in a bad spot with him. They can't win either way they go. So ultimately, he's going to have to go. As I was talking uh, with Tony uh, in the last podcast, all kinds of things that happen in the House of Representatives. Indictments, sickness, death. It won't take much to change the, the power in the House of Representatives, and things are going to change without question. So we'll keep hearing about this debt ceiling for some time to come. But I don't want you to worry about it because they are going to raise the debt ceiling. I guarantee you they will raise the debt ceiling. They'll go through some machinations, some shit shows, some clown shows, but it will get raised. The Republicans don't have the courage or the balls to hold strong on this. They just don't. And I hope the Democrats do have the courage to hold strong on this. Now, here's a story that just fucking baffles my mind. You remember the story. A six-year-old kid, six years old for Christ's sake, a student at a Virginia elementary school shot his teacher Now, here's the even more unbelievable thing. School staff told administrators three separate times that the child had a gun before he shot the teacher. What? Somebody comes to the office and says, hey, principal, 
There's a six-year-old running around with a gun. They even have it on videotape on the school videos, school cameras. But this administration was warned three times that a six-year-old child had a gun running around school. And they did nothing about it. Well, up until the time, a teacher was actually shot by this six-year-old kid. Abby Zwerner, a 25-year-old first-grade teacher at Newport News Richneck Elementary School, was shot by her student on January 6th and released from the hospital last week. Her lawyer, Diane Toscano, told reporters Wednesday that staff members repeatedly told school administrators that the boy had a gun, but those warnings were poor, apparently ignored. How do you fucking ignore that? You hear the word gun in a school, you think you would be on lockdown and doing everything you can to protect those kids and the teachers, but they fucking didn't. What the fuck? I just heard the principal uh, resigned, which he should. There's no fucking possibility that he should keep his job. On the day of the shootings, Werner told administrators the six-year-old threatened to beat up another student. Later that afternoon, a different teacher who believed the boy had a gun told administrators that she searched the child's backpack and she believed the boy had put a gun in his pocket. An administrator allegedly downplayed the concern, telling the teacher the boy has little pockets. Fuck you. Superintendent George Parker III previously said at a virtual town hall that at least one administrator was notified of a possible weapon, but no gun was found when the boy's backpack was searched. Would you search the fucking kid's pockets? For Christ's sake? Apparently not. Now, the other part of this that is so unbelievable is how does a six-year-old get a fucking gun? How, how, does, how does that fucking happen? Now, I grew up in a house with guns. My dad had guns. He hunted. He had shotguns. He had rifles. He had a pistol, a three fifty-seven Magnum pistol. When I was six years old, guess what? I couldn't get to that shit. And if I did get to it, somebody would notice that the gun was gone or that I had it in my tiny fucking pocket. It's unbelievable. The parents of the six-year-old said their son has an acute disability. Oh, let's feel sorry for him. I mean, let's be honest. He's six. You can't blame him too much. It's really the parents that are to blame. And he was under a plan that required at least one parent to be in the classroom every day. The week of the shooting was the first week neither parent attended class with their child. They're supposed to be there, but they weren't there. You would think if they were there, they might notice if their six-year-old had a fucking gun. Now, the parents said the firearm our son accessed was secured. Secured? Well, then how does a six-year-old fucking get a hold of it? Their attorney said, well, it's not clear how the child got access to the gun. It was not secured. What are you telling me? The six-year-old went and got the key for the gun case or somehow picked the lock? Please, motherfucker, I'm not stupid, and no, neither is anybody else. 
The day of the shooting, Zwerner texted a loved one to express her frustration that her student had a gun and school officials were doing nothing to act, according to a report. So they have corroborating evidence that the administrator said, uh, fuck yourself, he couldn't have a gun, he's only six. Well, sad to report, the six-year-old did have a gun that was supposedly secured, walked into the school. The administration was told three times. They ignored it. And guess what? 25-year-old teacher, who probably isn't getting paid very much at all to deal with a fucking nutcase kid. And I say a nutcase kid. I know six-year-olds. I have a grandson that's 10 That wouldn't even cross his mind. So how does a kid like that, that age, get to that point where he thinks he can grab a gun? I'm thinking the parents aren't the best parents in the fucking world. Excuse me for saying so, but uh, the evidence would suggest that. You can't do anything to a six-year-old kid. What the fuck does a six-year-old kid know? He's not responsible. But I tell you what, his parents are. I'll tell you what, those administration people that ignored it, they are. There should be some indictments and court cases with those motherfuckers. Because if you've got a six-year-old kid coming to school with a gun and shooting a teacher, and that's where the six-year-old starts out, I can't even imagine what we're going to be dealing with when he gets to junior high school and high school. All right, let's talk about dumb fuck Donald Trump. Dumb fuck diaper Donnie, 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 Donnie Trump. Donald Trump, we, we, we know that he's often refused to communicate by text or email, which his advisors have said probably kept him out of legal trouble. But that changed recently. It tells you how desperate he's getting. He would never text. He would never email because he doesn't want to leave a paper trail. (laughs) That's a sure sign of a fucking criminal. But friends, confidants, and even some who aren't especially close to him started receiving text messages from the former president starting around the beginning of the year. And those who have been on the receiving end of his criticism for leaving a written trail of his communications reacted with surprise. Those who have witnessed firsthand visceral aversion to record-keeping said they were shocked to learn about his new electronic habit. He Has he now also started to take notes, said John Bolton, his former national security advisor, when told of Trump's texting? This isn't good news for Donald Trump, and this isn't going to go well for Trump. There's going to come a time when those text messages are subpoenaed by the DOJ. And as I've always said, just let Donnie Trump talk. He'll implicate himself. And I guarantee you in these text messages, he's doing just that. Now, Trump has long prided himself on being smart for avoiding documentation of his meetings. And he once yelled at Bolton for taking notes during the discussion and has snatched away notes after spotting a junior legal associate jotting them down during a meeting in the 1990s. 
I've had a lot of great lawyers like Roy Cohen, who is a piece of shit, excuse me for saying so. He started his career working with Joe McCarthy with the whole Red Scare thing. Trump said, according to former White House counsel Donald McGahn, he did not take notes. The text messages sent from his cell phone have mostly been innocuous, according to recipients who got New Year greetings, political observations, and other missives from Trump. However, some associates express concern about what he might say in those texts, but they are relieved that his phone now sends calls from numbers that aren't in his contacts straight to voicemail, according to two sources. Now, the change was prompted by Trump accepting a call from NBC reporter who had called him during the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's protracted election bid earlier this month. So why is he now texting and emailing and taking phone calls? Well, because he's fucking desperate. He's flailing. This is what I told you. Once this starts to happen and he starts to feel the pressure, he's going to say and do things he wouldn't normally say because he doesn't know what to do. He's scared shitless. So now he's texting. They're saying most of the texts are innocuous. But it's, you know, it's, it's being amplified here. First, he's not texting. Now he is texting, but it's all innocuous. It's going to get worse. As he gets more and more pressure, like when that first indictment comes out, there's going to be a lot of information in those text messages. And I guarantee you, the DOJ is going to get a hold of those text messages. All right. Let's talk about another dumb fuck, Scandal Plague Representative George Santos. Now, George suffered a fresh embarrassment on Wednesday when the man whom the New York Republican listed as his new campaign treasurer denied being Santos' new campaign treasurer. Think about that. You know, he's got all kinds of problems with... um, this claim that he donated $700,000 to his campaign. Question is, where did he get the money? He was making $55,000 a year. He, he was broke as a joke. He was getting kicked out of his homes, being evicted. So where does a guy like that get $700,000? So apparently George Santos thought, yeah, that's probably a good point. I should probably change that. And he went on to his financial papers, and took off a check, meaning he didn't pay it out of his own pocket that he got it from somebody else. Now, he didn't say who he got it from, and that's problematic because some guy out of the blue, whether it be a Russian oligarch or somebody else, giving him $700,000 for his campaign, highly illegal. So he didn't help himself out in that matter. But here's what happened when he changed these financial uh, documents. It was signed by his campaign treasurer, a guy by the name of Dotweiler. Dotweiler. ABC News reports the fundraising committee associated with Santos campaign notified the Federal Elections Commission this week that veteran campaign treasurer Thomas Datweiler was now working for Santos. However, 
<laughs> this is a good part. An attorney re representing Datweiler tells ABC News that he is not working for Santos and that the filings were signed under Detweiler's name without his consent, meaning Detweiler did not sign the document, meaning Detweiler's signature was fucking forged. Now, on Monday, we informed the Santos campaign that Mr. Detweiler would not be serving as treasurer. Attorney Derek Ross explained, it appears that there's been a disconnect between the conversation and the filings today, which we did not authorize. So George Santos just digs the hole deeper. He admits he got the money from somebody else, which he can't do in that amount of a campaign donation. He can't accept a $700,000 campaign donation from one person. That's not legal. And then when he makes that change, he signs it, he forges the name of his treasurer. Another highly illegal fucking thing. Adav Noti former associate general counsel at the Federal Election Commission, tells ABC News that the situation with Datweiler and the Santos campaign is very, very strange. And he emphasized that the person who submitted an electronic signature of Datweiler's name could find themselves in legal jeopardy. Yeah, you think? You think? <laughs> it's completely illegal to sign somebody else's name on a federal filing without their consent, he explained. That is a big no-no. And you tell me that you don't think George Santos is going to get his ass kicked out of Congress. Well, of course he is. Of course he is. All right, this last one is just fucking stupid. And it involves former Representative Devin Nunes. So, you know, this is the guy that sued a Twitter cow. So it's not surprising that he would do something stupid. We know that Devin Nunes resigned. Why? I don't know. He resigned his position as representative and took a job as CEO of Donald Trump's Truth Social, which is dying a thousand deaths right now. So way to go, Devin. Nice job running that fucker. Do Devin Nunes bizarrely claimed Representative Adam Schiff reached out to the Russians to solicit nude photos of former President Donald Trump. <laughs> now, if in fact there were nude photos of Donald Trump, who'd want those motherfuckers? Nobody wants those. Certainly not Adam Schiff. Nunez, as I say, the CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, did not elaborate but was likely referring to a prank phone call Schiff received in 2018 from two Russian radio hosts. On Tuesday, Speaker Kevin McCarthy rejected the nominations of Schiff and Representative Eric Swalwell to the House Intelligence Committee on which they served for years. McCarthy has cited Swalwell's past association with an alleged Chinese spy, which is absolute bullshit. As for Schiff, the speaker has been critical of how he handled the first impeachment of Trump as one of the impeachment managers in the House. I don't know. It seemed to me that that impeachment proceeding went quite well. By the way, Donald Trump was impeached twice. Democrats allege McCarthy is exacting revenge for their removal of Representatives Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
all they did, well, Paul Gosar put up some memes showing him killing AOC and threatening the President of the United States. That's it. Why would you get thrown off committees for that? And Marjorie Taylor Greene spouting all kinds of QAnon conspiracies and crazy shit. Again, justified kicking her off. Nunes offered his reaction on Wednesday's episode of The Story on Fox News. Adam Schiff said time and time again that he was going to be vindicated. Anchor Martha McCallum said that there was proof that President Trump was working in collusion to the detriment of this country with Russia. She asked Nunes if those claims harmed national security. He went on to say, there are so many things that, yes, can go over here back in history, but I think one of the most important ones is this, said Nunes, the former chair of the House Intelligence Committee. You had Schiff running around the country telling everybody that Trump was a Russian agent. How dare a Republican, any Republican, reach out to Russians to get information that could possibly sway our election? He then claimed Schiff solicited Russians for nudes. See, he's spewing the same old shit. Russia, Russia, Russia. It was a hoax. No, it wasn't a hoax. Ten separate occasions of obstruction of justice by Donald Trump. The Russians meddling in 2016, that was proved. And they did it to the benefit of Donald Trump. Donald Trump has all kinds of connections with Russia. His son Eric said they got all their money from Russia. This Mueller report and calling it a hoax is ridiculous. I run into Trump fucks from time to time that say, oh, that Russia thing was a hoax. No, it wasn't, motherfucker. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about some facts. And usually when I get to the facts, they say, oh, now you're being mean, and they run away. I'm tired of hearing this shit. This shit is bullshit. It's fake news, as they say. It's diversion, distraction, and delays. That's all they do. That's all they have. And this Nunez dumb fuck, he's going to fade away into oblivion. He had a representative's position in the House. He resigned that position or retired or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And he took the job with Donald Trump's company, which is failing, which should be not surprising to anybody because every one of Donald Trump's companies has failed. Oh, and by the way, the SEC is starting, has been investigating Donald Trump's company as well. Devin Nunes is going to die on the vine with this company. And all the things he says is bullshit. Because again, remember, he was getting teased by some animated cow on Twitter and he was suing him. (laughs) How'd that go for you, Devin? Oh, yeah, you didn't get the case taken to court. They laughed at you. And this is the thing. These comments that somebody like Nunez says or Kevin McCarthy says or Gosar or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert, it's a joke. It's laughable. And that's what we need to do to these people. Just laugh at these fucks. That's the one thing they hate the most. If you aren't taking them seriously, if you're not afraid of them, they don't know what to do. And this is what the Democrats need to do for the next two years. Laugh at these fuckers, embarrass them, and never back down. Keep shoving it in their face. The... uh, Jewish space lasers. I know Marjorie Taylor Greene wants to back off of that, but she should have that hanging around her neck. 
for the rest of her political career. All right. We are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for the emails. Keep them coming. Uh, I'm just going to tell you something real quick about this, too. You know, when we had Dewey on, now Dewey's a very smart guy, and he offered to help me out a little bit. You know, my email is rationalboomer at gmail.com. He said to me, Mike, you should have rationalboomer.com. I said, yeah, I know. I just never really bothered to do it. He said, I'll do it for you. I go, no, you don't have to do that. He goes, no, I'm going to do it for you. So what he did was he got me the rationalboomer.com domain. And if you go to rationalboomer.com, it'll take you right to the anchor. For now, it'll take you to the anchor website where all the podcasts are. So that's good. And he also got me a new email address. And I hate to switch up emails, so I'll take them from both still. But the new email address he got me was Mike at rationalboomer.com. That's better. That's more professional. And he pointed that out, and I accept that. I've had emails like that before in my businesses and such. So if you're sending an email, you can still send it to rationalboomer at gmail.com. But now I got a, thanks to Dewey, I got a cool new email address too that says Mike at rationalboomer.com. A little easier to remember. And if you want to go to Anchor to listen to the podcast, you can do that by going to rationalboomer.com. I'll put together some other kind of website with more interactive stuff ultimately. I'm going to probably have to have Dewey help me with it because I'm not a programmer, but I don't write code. I don't know any of that shit. And even if I did put it together, it probably wouldn't be very good because I don't have an eye for design. So I'll see what I can get together with that. I'll get some help from some people and we'll put together a website. Maybe we can offer some more interactive possibilities there with that website. Anyway, if you want to email, email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com or mike at rationalboomer.com. I'll check them both. I'll answer them both. It's all good. All right, I hope you have a great day, and uh, we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.